My love, sweet queen and noble wife. <laughs> oh, God, no. <laughs> Stop the song immediately. <laughs> Wasn't exactly the funeral mass, but otherwise it was pretty on par with the quality of the podcast. <laughs> oh, two should die. Two eternities in doom. Sorry for everyone listening. Welcome to the Flick Lab. I'm Kari Oyal. I studied media. My co-host is Henrik. He studies at the University of Lapland amongst the reindeers. How has it been in that godforsaken place? <laughs> Well, it's it's been godforsaken enough for me to continue on this godforsaken podcast, so business as usual, I would say. Henrik, I heard that you have not seen Dr. Fipes' films before. Yup, <clears throat> shamefully so. so. I, I guess that, that amongst positives I'm, that I have to credit towards the flick lab. Finally checking out Dr. Fipes' films is amongst one of them. I remember watching this a long, long time ago on TV. I can't recall anymore when, but probably like 20 years ago in my teens. And then in one of those horror movie events that I did, uh, we did watch the first Dr. Fives. We never get around to the second one, but all right. I, I have always always known that there is a Finnish release of Dr. Fives films, because I, I have been aware of the movies under the title names of Vampire's Revenge and The Vampire Rises Again, which is a really odd title choice, seeing how there's nothing vampiric in Dr. Fives, but, you know, Finnish translations are what they are, and marketing is what it is. But even though, even though they have been around in Finland too, yeah, Always managed to somehow avoid Dr. Fives films. And I haven't even tried because I I have always had this kind of curiosity towards seeing the Dr. Fives movies, knowing that they are beloved cult classics. Beloved cult classics that are directed by Robert Fust, lived on this planet from 1927 to 2012. And his first feature directing job was Just Like a Woman, 1967. He also wrote it. Then he went on to direct several episodes for the Avengers. And yeah, for the newbies out there or the people who don't know this has nothing to do with Marvel, you millennials. I, I was I was expecting when when does Marvel comment rise its head. <laughs> yeah, we've been touching a little bit on the Avengers in the podcast every now and then because there we have had a lot of the Avengers related ac- actors in this podcast. Somehow and well, it was very prominent English TV series upon its heyday. It was, and it has some of the biggest names of British cinema, at least. Yeah, it, yeah. it's kind of the same case as, for example, The Saint or, or Colombo, 
which were also long-running TV series that kind of became one of one of those TV products where it was it it was a mark of credibility if you meant had a, a role in those in those shows. Yeah, this was a British secret agent action TV show, and uh, Robert Fust, maybe he's best known for his black comedy elements, suspense and horror, and uh, maybe best known for the two Fibes films, but also for some other horror films such as the Final Program '73 and Soon the Darkness from '70. This received praise from critics apparently, and then The Devil's Reign, which bombed. Uh, critically in 75. Then he d- did a lot of TV and uh, last feature film was Aphrodite from 1982. It's, it's some kind of a softcore sex movie. And then he concentrated on painting, which is his passion and yada yada yada. Uh, cinematography in the first film is by Norman Warwick. He did uh, Dr. Jekyll and Sister Hyde from 71, The Last Valley 1971, uh, Confessions of a Window Cleaner, and The Young and the Guilty, as early as 1958. He was married to Hannah Gordon, a Scottish actress. Alex Thompson is the cinematographer for the second film, maybe the more known DP here, well, obviously, because he was nominated for Academy Award for the Best Cinematography for Excalibur, 1981. Which finally is a film that I have actually seen. (laughs) Way to go, once again, covering your background in in cinema on, on a movie podcast. Anything special about it? Excalibur, you mean? Yep. O- outside of it, actually being relatively good King Arthurian um, adventure fantasy movie. No, not really. I do recommend the Excalibur. Actually, at least checking out Excalibur has n- perhaps not aged like fine wine. But still, especially when it comes to movies made about King Arthur, I do think that it is on the higher echelon of products. More of DP Alex Thompson's works you can see in Legend from 1985. It's the young Tom Tom Cruise flick. Which also <clears throat> surprisingly good when you take into account exactly what what, what is the script level wise that they're starting off position with the film. Does rely pretty heavily on Tim Curry's depiction of of a demon or, or Satan or something that is never truly fully explained. Followed his works in Alien 3 from 1992. Oh, I believe we have seen it. Cliffhanger from 1993. Demolition Man with Sylvester Stallone in 1993. Hamlet adaptation from 1996. And on and on and on and on. Uh, Screenwriters are William Goldstein and James Witten for the original and Robert Please for, for the sequel. Uh, the director, Fuest, was involved in the writing process of both of these films in some capacity as well. Music by ba- Basil Kirchin in the original and then John Gale in the sequel. Uh, Kirchin from the first one, he was a musician from a very early age, released a lot of solo albums, performed with others in other bands and had over a dozen film scores. His score, for some reason, wasn't liked by director Fuest, which I guess led to the replacement in the second one. Casting. Oh boy, we could spend hours here. But Vincent Price here. Vincent Price, of course, plays Dr. Anton Fibes, actor of such of a magnitude that we don't have time for all of this, but uh, he has two two stars on Hollywood Walk of Fame for TV and movies, starting over 100 films. Fibes wasn't his 100th film, though, so 
It was advertised as such, but it's not true. Maybe best known for Edgar Allan Poe adaptations, House of Usher, The Pit and the Pendulum, and The Mask of the Red Death. Uh, amongst other things, yeah. Uh, those films came around during the 60s, which mm. career-wise, I would say, was Vincent Price's The, the Golden Age. Not, not necessarily in the, in the sense that he got into the biggest productions, but more in the liking of, of, of during that time, he, he did most appearances in, in films that even today are hold as cult classics. The ones that you named were done with cheap movie producer Roger Corman, mm. all beloved cult classics. He also, this was also the time period he worked heavily with William Castle, with whom he made, for example, Tingler and and the house on the haunted hill. He also did some, even though most of his body of work perhaps was done with Castle and, and Gorman during the 60s, he also did have prominent roles in other cult classic fi films from other producers, like, for example, Witchfinder General and The Last Man on Earth. And let's name drop some other works from him as well. The Ten Commandments, the 1956 film, and then Tim Burton's Edward Scissorhands from 1990, in which he starred also. And it was his last feature film. He was kind of sick at those, that time. So uh, he then withdrew from filmmaking and died in 1993. Yeah, Price was kind of a multi-talented guy. Like before his film career, he had managed to reach a minor in art studies, art history, if I remember correctly. Also had had a degree in English from Yale University and was supposed to, to continue on art field, like academia-wise. And got into the, to esteemed academia in, in, in London, where he finally found the theater stage and got into acting that-wise. Was also very prominent uh, as a voice actor. Some a quality that often is tied with Vincent Price is is his very recognizable voice, which helped him to land several audio gigs, for example, in, in radio dramas like like Suspense or The Thirteenth Juror. And, well, did, did do, outside of voice acting or voice work, and, and movies did also work as, a, as an art consultant, um, even though quite on occasion, but for example, did do that uh, marketing or selling fine art educational video for the for the retail chain Sears, and also was notable gourmet cook. Yeah, to a point where he co-authored several co cooking books with with his second wife, like five or something. Like five, the exact number. I'm not cer certain about the exact number, how many books he did, but he did do a number of those and had his own cooking show on TV, where amongst other things, he did share with the world the, the recipe of, of uh, how to cook a small boy. <laughs> now, some, of course, have claimed that that, that recipe Price did as a, just as a macabre joke, but in all honesty, all the child killers around the world owe, owe a debt of gratitude to Price for, 
for his work. Like fuck, I was running out of space and options trying to bury all the bodies behind my bathroom wall until I did find that recipe. So, you know, thanks a lot, Price. Priceless. Yeah. Ah. Also was was a notable, notable rap artist. MC Pricey Price dropping tweets so sick that they practically made the entire career of one Michael Jackson. You've totally lost me. Yeah? Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm not shitting you, man. In, in all seriousness, it's, it's Jackson's thriller. If you listen to the entire track, like you can check it out right away. But the track closes on in, on with this, this small short rap segment. The, the forest stench in the air, the funk of the forty thousand years segment, and that's actually performed by Price. Oh yeah, was Vincent Price this actor that I sometimes think that think about that uh, contributed to really odd things, things that you would consider youthful until you know, Vincent Price touches on it and you're like, what what is this guy doing here? Kind of, kind of, yeah, kind of, yeah. He also did voice work for, for example, Disney's animated features. Like, for yeah. example, in in the Great Mouse Detective, where he voice acts the main bad guy, Professor Ratican. And he also was one of the OG otakus in, in America. There's a, this old behind the set photograph of, he, uh, of him from the production of The House of Usher, where he's hanging in the background with, with Roger Corman and Price is reading some magazine, which uh, I never have been able to really figure out, find out what what he is reading, but it is some type of Japanese magazine. I I do think that it might very well be a manga album. And Vincent Price, also notable, at least judging by the cover of, of, of that magazine, he is, it's, it's not one that has been translated into English, so Price is going through in, in the original Japanese language. So, With that in mind, all you Sunday school weeaboos can suck on that. Like your disgusting fruit basket collections have nothing on Vincent Price. <laughs> Peter Jeffrey is playing the Inspector Trout in both of these films. Uh, he did play roles in Goodbye Gemini, 1970, a psychological horror film, then The Return of the Pink Panther from 1975, the fourth Pink Panther film, then did Midnight Express, 1978, great film. And, Those yeah. perhaps being his most notable like film appearances outside of Dr. Fabs. Jeff, with Jeffrey, the thing is that his career is kind of a, a quilt of many different works and a surprisingly lot of, of his appearances appear to be in either in direct video movies or then in TV series like Love, Joy or Heartbeat or Yes, Minister. Uh, yes, very prominent on TV. Also has acted in The Adventures of Baron Minkhausen from 1988, to name just a few. All in all, this film is kind of loaded with English pretty well-known actress, actors such as Terry Thomas, who plays Dr. Longstreet in the first one, and then Lombardo in the second one. Uh, yeah, he was an uh, English comedian and character actor and had a incredibly long career in TV, also radio and stage and films. 
Yeah, Thomas is not the only actor who they recycle between the two films. Another one is Hugh Griffith, who plays the rabbi character, uh, only in a minor side role in the first one, and then is Harry Ambrose in The Rise of Dr. Fibes. Uh, the Ro- Dr. Fibes rises again. From which we get very naturally to all the James Bond connections that I couldn't help but spot in the film. First of all, we have Milton Reed, who played the henchman Sandor in The Spy Who Loved Me from 1977. He actually did attempt to secure the role of Archab in Goldfinger already, but that didn't go through. And he also did appear in Dr. No as a guard. I can't for the life of me remember where that man was in that film, but kind of pretty insignificant role. And Milton Reed in these films, he's playing the guy who gets the metal through his head. What was the guy's name? I don't remember either. He is the dumb muscle. Yeah. Seems to be in all films that have something to do with Egypt. Uh, then we have Virginia North, who plays Olympe, the kind of a, a stepmother, I understand, of the character of Tracy in On Her Majesty's Secret Service, James Bond film, the one-time George Lazenby as Bond film, and he plays Volnavia in f- the first vibes. Yeah, on Her Majesty's Secret Service, perhaps being her most notable, I, I, I don't know, notable role, but perhaps the biggest film that he she ever got under her belt. The running theme with, with the ladies of Dr. Fibes films is that all their careers are, sh- are cut surprisingly short. These wool navies never did score that many films under their belt before they retired from acting or transitioned into doing something else. Yeah, Virginia North did five films and was Fibes the last one, the first Fibes, I believe so. Then we have Caroline Munro as photos of Victoria in both of the films. I believe she's never in flesh and blood as the Victoria, but I'm not sure. Well, there, there is, uh, I'm not interested certain, was she playing Victoria in the second one? Which uh, does the whole uh, sleeping beauty motive. I've no idea. I've only heard of references to the pictures. That's clear. And and may, maybe, maybe, you know, at the very end of the first film, when there is the, the closing casket, which has the mirror on the inside of it. So you could see her in the mirror reflection. It could be, but I can't tell from those images. I tried to look, yep. but I'm not sure. And she played Naomi in, once again, The Spy Who Loved Me. The sexy baddie with the helicopter. Then we have Sean Burry, who was, uh, it's just for not many seconds in the film, but she he plays the HMS crewman in The Spy Who Loved Me. And in the first film of the Fibes story, he is the son of Dr. Vesalius, Lem Vesalius. All around, there is surprisingly a lot of connections to vibes found from other films. The my kind of what I picked up, I missed all the James Bond stuff. James Bond never being the the kind of my area of expertise. I've always left that more to you and Tom in our Bond episodes. But what I picked up was stuff that was later referenced at at other films like so, some very obvious parallels can be seen with with dr fibes and and the saw movies uh also yes. david yeah 
both of them has a serial killer who uses really elaborate killing methods. Um, in Vibes, there are not so much traps. In the sequel, there are more traps. So you also get in that, that jigsaw trap territory with Vibes. But perhaps the most prominent in this department would be the in the first film, the, the final final quote-unquote killing the death of a, of a firstborn, which has the whole, I, I buried a key under near, near your son's heart, and you had to cut it out, stunt. Yeah, I heard that the first Saw film was inspired very much by, by that scene from the first Dr. Fibes. Yeah. And so I see it as very much as some kind of a proto-Saw film, where we have a character who has some kind of a grudge against a certain group of people and then takes his elaborate vengeance on them. The second one, second one doesn't really have any motive. It's just a random occurrence of killings here and there in elaborate ways, but there are no stakes, and this is what was missing in the second one, amongst other things. Yeah, other films that also draw apparently influence from vibes would have been Brian De Palma's rock musical Phantom of the Paradise, where the main hero has, has this guy with a motorcycle helmet or, or something that is actually very clearly plays homage to the, the eagle mask that Vibes uses in, in the plague of frogs killing in oh. the first film. Uh, also, David Fincher 7, they both share a, a similar type of serial killer who uses a numerical Bible motif in his killings. In 7, it's the de seven deadly scenes, and in here, it's it's the 10 biblical plagues. Yeah. And, and if you count in, especially if you count in the once attempted or planned Dr. Fibes TV series, which we would have Dr. Fibes fighting against criminals and being a good guy. From there, you can draw like a hell of a strong parallel to the early Sam Raimi movies, um, more specifically to Darkman, which also has a professor character in there. He's working in, in trying to create a synthetic skin replacement to help. Uh, victims, burn victims to, to live, once again be able to hide their scars and he's attacked by a group of gangsters who completely disfigure him and then Darkman starts to, to use his invention to mask himself, masquerade as, as the gangsters one by one and this way stealing their identities and causing havoc much in the same way as Dr. Vibes has Vincent Price looking mask to hide his own disfigurement and work, kind of to be able to move freely in the society. And all of these are kind of, I would contribute most sources for the whole who is ripping off who and well, all around there, the ripping off argument that often it goes goes hand in hand with the Doctor of Vibes films. Uh, so regarding the plagues of Egypt, this is kind of the running theme of the first one. It is one of those countless, uh, well, what I would actually describe as bro, I swear games that you have in the Bible, where you have God or. Jesus, who is trying to convince someone of 
something by playing a game. It goes like goes like this: you have God or Jesus who make something that you would consider as outlandish claims, and then some person doesn't believe it, and then he kind of proves it, quote unquote, but not directly, not directly, but by some indirect, elaborate scheme, like such as I'm the Almighty, and you will know by the fact that all your domesticated animals will be dead by tomorrow, and by by this evil act. You are supposed to make kind of illogical leap that this means this is proof of God existence or something like this. So in this case, we have an angry, angry God who is trying to show off to the Pharaoh that kind of day by day fashion that this God can do even more heinous acts than maybe the Pharaoh himself, and thereby mentally breaking him. And Doctor Fibes kind of follows loosely God's list of these tools of vengeance and notes. Note this, that Dr. Fibes and God, they're all about vengeance. They are, even though God, especially in, in the plagues of Egypt segment, is, is perhaps even more than about vengeance, is about freeing the Jews, which was the, the, the kind of the big deal, or, or, or the, the, the reason for the plagues, that the plagues were uh. used as, as a weapon to force the pharaoh, to release the people and let them follow Moses. But when it comes to drawing parallels between God and Fibes, I would say you are right on the money. Fibes is very God-like in, in Dr. Fibes' films, and not just in the way how he kills, like drawing inspiration from Bible, the, the book of God, but also the way how he beha behaves and how he presents himself. Like, Fibes likes to, to pride himself as being omnipotent presence in the film's world. And the other characters, especially the po uh, Scotland Yard inspectors trying to hunt Fibes, kind of uh, emphasize this by making repeated remarks how Fibes is unstoppable or uncontrollable, and how you can't beat Fibes. Like, Trout, especially in the, in the second one, Trout starts to really point out how it's even kind of futile to go after Fibes, since Fibes always wins. And much like God, Fibes is someone who really likes to create words for his own image. It... It, it, it is shown to you in, in the first one where the Fibes' manner, he has this really elaborate autonomic band members who, well, essentially Fibes has, Fibes has had to, to uh, pre-program them to, to play certain songs. As that, that, that's mandatory since you are not dealing with, with live players. So Fibes ha has created the whole band. He has force them to play certain songs, and then Fibes acts and pretends like he's, he's composing music. The music has already been composed, now he just acts as a composer. Gotta have, just to have this, this LARP, like how I am controlling something that I have already built. The second Fibes film takes this perhaps even further, because in there, Fibes... 
once they reach the, the whole point of the second one is that there is a there is this race against time to reach Egypt and find a secret in Egypt. So Fibes and and his well adversary where Fibes has to kind of where Fibes and his opponent Dr. Piderbeck are both raising to get to Egypt and get to e- and eventually do get so in the films some like before films halfway mark and well Egypt is is once again kind of a strong guard parallel with Fibes as Fibes now returns back to the country upon which the guard unleashed the ten plagues that Fibes utilized in in the first film and once again, in Egypt, Fibes has this, this space, this world that he himself has built, as there is some kind of an underground layer where Fibes hides. And it's, it's never actually, the film is really confusing in, in this sense. Has, has the, the layer of the underground temple, has it been built before Fibes, or has Fibes built it himself? Because the film gives you kind of conflicting statements. Fibes himself declares that that is his, he has built it, and basically everybody else behaves like it has originally been there. But, you know, whatever the case, the thing now has things like, for example, electricity and other and such, so, you know, pre-built or not, Fibes most definitely has also taken that location, that space, and made it his own. I took it as that he has uh, done some nice article decorations of his own there, but that the temple or whatever the case is has been there. Yeah, it it could be, it could be, but as as mentioned, that the film gives you kind of two conflicting narratives on what exactly is the state the state of the temple. The actual plagues from the Book of Exodus are turning water to blood. Frogs, and third one, lice or gnats, depending on the reading, I believe. And the fourth is wild animals or flies. Fifth is pestilence or livestock. Sixth is boils, as in the bees. Seventh is thunderstorm of hail and fire. Eighth is locusts. Ninth is darkness for three days. And tenth is death of firstborn. In the film, these plagues do not go in order, and also they are sometimes different from what they are in in the bible story uh we have the first kill in the film as bats eating a face there is no such plague in the story of the bible as far as i know related to bats exactly no i i took it that that may have been like pestilence or something like that but vampire bats often drink blood from livestock and they make viruses and diseases that may, you know, trans transfer themselves back into the uh, in, into the livestock through the act of of you know all the blood sucking. And the first one of the film that is not shown in the film is related to bees. Bees in his library. It's this uh, investigative team that says this. They're talking of this guy who was killed by bees in his library and thus got the boils uh then we have um yeah there is the sucking blood like a vampire of dr longstreet so sucking him dry storing his blood into those bottles we have hargraves the 
Much obliged, dude, and his frog mask. Then we have the curse of hail in the car. No, no fire here. In the Bible, it's thunderstorm of hail and fire, but we have the hail part in the car. The curse of rats on the plane. There is no curse of rats there, but there's like the, the fourth curse or the plague is the wild animals or flies. So it was replaced with rats for visual reasons, reasons for the film. Uh, sixth is piercing the body with the unicorn statue. I have no idea how to link this to the, any of these plagues. And uh, seventh is the locusts. And I think the film leaves out completely the third plague, lice or gnats. And fifth, pestilence of livestock. And darkness for three days, the plague number nine. Well, that was well, supposed to be kind of vibes burying himself at the end. I guess. But then the tenth plague, death of firstborn, that was about to happen, but then it didn't happen. So five was unsuccessful in his mission. <laughs> Hard to say, but he has fun with these victims that he has taken out and goes back to sleep. Yeah, the film is not exactly successful in in following the the ten plagues motif at least in my opinion like sometimes the connection between the killing and and the plagues is loose at best it's the same way with uh, with also with the first plague turning water to blood which do does not mm. happen but which i took was played in the film uh, in in the act of the reverse blood transfusion where Vibes drains mm. one of his victims from blood. But one, once again, you know, doing that and turning water into blood, it's not exactly the same thing. No, he kind of improvises with those and infestation of, of frogs is not exactly a frog mask. And what I feel is the implication of the first film, I, I think Dr. Vibes says it, pretty clearly that he's about to go into this eternal sleep mode with his beloved wife after this whole revenge mission is over and done with. So it doesn't really make sense for him to rise again in the sequel. No, it's it's dumb as all hell. And the sequel, even though I, I kind of like the sequel more than the first one. Yeah, same. Yeah, but I, I do... I have to admit that the sequel gets into really rocky start because, well, like you mentioned, him rising again makes no goddamn sense. The sequel kind of have to work around, well, essentially Egyptian magic in order to, to motivate vibes or give him a reason to rise again. And then the actual act of rising again, well, well that's just, you know, playing part of the, of the footage of the first film just backwards. Like, at the end of the... In the end of the first Fibes film, Dr. Fibes essentially kills himself by filling his body with the palming fluid. And this, you see this happen, you see the fluid moving. And mm -hmm. when he's rising again, well, that's nothing more than that, just playing that palming fluid, a short clip from that palming fluid scene, just backwards. And, like, palming fluid does not work like that. <laughs> yeah, and I, I think it's kind of played pretty much for jokes to the entire scene when he rises again and just kind of 
does this sound with the neck. Everything is just, it's just making fun of these kind of films, I suppose. Yeah, and, and it's, it's that, that joking, making fun side of the sequel that, in my opinion, makes it work. But like, would, would they have tried to play it seriously? It would have been an absolute dumpster fire. Since they poke fun of the concept, it actually starts to work. But the main thing is that you can still very clearly see that Dr. Fives was a film that nev was never meant to have a sequel or five sequels, as it is if you count in the books that came like years later. Yeah, indeed, we can talk about those. There were some book sequels from the original creator of the Fives character or the or original screenwriter. And then there were rumblings of doing the third film, which never materialized. But the, regarding the starting of the sequel, instead of the slow burn uh, that we have in the first film, you kind of have to figure out what is going on. And uh, I like the aspect that it's a special moment when uh, Dr. Fives speaks and we get to know this technology that he has built for himself uh, talking through a gramophone of all goddamn things. So instead of the slow burn, we have the self-explanatory. We we have loads of exposition right off the bat. And in the first five minutes, you already know what Dr. Fibes is going to be up to. And after that, it's just an occurrence of random killings. One after, after the other that have really no stakes and uh, don't have really meaning. I guess he's just having fun on his cruise ship. Uh, he's He's... Essentially, he's killing because he realizes that he's in a horror film and something has to happen. Yeah, but at least this, uh, the character is played by Vincent Price, so I think he's having even more fun in the sequel, acting this character. At least the Pharaoh connection continues here. Egypt, Egypt and uh, biblical stuff and uh, beautiful poetic lines that have no goddamn sensor. In the sequel, there's a lot of this... Even though in the first one also you have a lot of this repetition in the poetic lines. Here it's just getting a little bit, it's just inserted there and it, it's just all the same goddamn thing. Like, now my beloved wife, we shall be together for eternity, blah, 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 blah. Oh, oh, oh God. Yeah, yeah, extremely yeah. strongly this. Yeah. Vibes, Vibes goes on and on about about his his wife and and how he's going to resurrect, especially about the fact how how much he like longs for the sweet embrace of his wife. It's, it's like basically every almost every single scene of Vincent Price in in the in the second Vibes films is just you know him going on about his goddamn wife to a point where I'm I actually started to. Feel sorry for Vulvania who has to help her, help him and just just be there on in these numerous occasions where Fives is just like well the, I I so long my wife and seeing this pillow reminds me of my sweet Victoria and this fish you have cooked brings back to my mind my sweet Victoria whose embrace I long so deeply. Vulvania who I feel that kind of undeservedly gets this side hole treatment i i know that it sounds horrible but 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 she does she does yeah it's like she already dies in the first one then 
she gets resurrected, I think, to, thanks to Dr. Fibes on this next mission, because he says something like, rise once again, or whatever it is. And then she's there once again to help him. Well, I guess she finally gets what she deserves. She gets into the life of the, the place of eternal life. <laughs> she, she goes gets... through some kind of a light door with the lights on and then uh, Dr. Fibes goes through this river. Yeah, it's it's really weird what she gets at the end. Fibes makes the, the notion that Vulnavia gets her reward, but what that reward exactly is, is never actually explained. Like, they, they are chasing the eternal life. So you, you can kind of think that that's the reward for Vulvania. But the, the, like, like the eternal life is, is on a river where you have to take a boat cruise you know, using the, the below-ground water system tunnels. And Vulnavia just go, walks into a mirror hallway to a white light and... And something, so is is there like multiple paths to eternal life? Yeah. Or or what? And speaking of the sidehole treatment, the second one is even worse on, on this regard, because I, I don't know if, is this just, you know, the, the actor just, just fucking it up, but I, I swear to God, I, I noticed that Vulnavia cast some loving and longing gazes to, to Vibes' direction, in, in the second movie, and all these which I took were emotions of affection are go completely unanswered and even, you know, unnoticed by Fibes, who just who is just about his sweet Victoria and and embraces. Yeah, whereas Virginia North's performance is full navy and the first one is more stone face like you get the idea that she's really there to just do her job you do you do uh and, and that's that's kind of weird weird difference between these two films because yeah the, the second one does grant you more emotion and more feeling and usually in movies that that means good actors showing feeling means means good in in traditional movie sense but somehow in in Fibes films it's it's completely the opposite where the more stone-faced depiction is the one that makes more logical sense with the rest of the movie and the more feeling one is kind of that just leaves you scratching your head and being like what exactly are the characters doing yeah, Virginia North plays Vulnavia in the first, and uh, Valley Kemp takes over in the second one because Virginia North was pregnant at the time of the second film. And Vulnavia, she wasn't supposed to return as a character, but AIP, the production house, they insisted that she should return. And of course, she is surprisingly healthy after having that acid shower in the first one as a reward for her services. Yeah, but it's really her stupidity as well. A small amount of acid, like five liters of the stuff just falling in your face, means nothing, you're fine. All good. Yeah, can we take a moment to appreciate uh, Vincent Price's ability to kind of dance on the line to, to make this character work, make it kind of hokey and goofy, but also having the sinister side of it 
kind of working. If you have would have some other actor, it would probably just not work, and you wouldn't be able to communicate what this movie is about. I would say so too, I, and that, in my opinion, would go also with very prominent horror film actors. Like, take for example uh, Boris Karloff. Mm. I can't see vibes working with with Boris Karloff at helm. Like the character, in my opinion, wouldn't wouldn't kind of have have this this nuance and wouldn't breathe the way how how it breathes under crisis control. Yeah, there were some uh, discussion online who should take over <laughs> Dr. Fibes' role in, in the third one if they ever made one. And I heard a lot of silly notions, but but mm, I could perhaps see Ian McKellen pulling, pulling it off with those eyes and expressions. But of course, he has some baggage of playing Lord of the Rings. And these kind of uh, good-hearted characters. I don't know, but it, I think it could work. Well, now that you mentioned McKellen, he, he's kind of the only one who I can see pulling it off. <laughs> I don't know, it it, it requires a char- an actor who has very strong case and, and history, both in, in dark and dramatic and also comedic parts. Yeah. And that, that is a hard act. I... After you mentioning McKellen, I started to think about Sherlock Holmes, because McKellen has history playing the character, and from there, um, well, Benedict Cumberbatch came to my mind, if you would want to have someone younger. He mm. perhaps could be able to, to well, well at, at least he would have the range to do the goofy uh, and the, the dark and dramatic it's a question mark. Would he have enough to put those two two completely different ends together to make a unified performance? Perhaps, perhaps not. Really hard to say. Most likely, it would have to be again an actor who has an established character to an extent, and not just some unknown. Because maybe it's part of the communication also that people know what kind of a actor this is i don't know uh yeah yeah they they would would need that because once again the the actor playing vibes couldn't really talk his lines in the movie yeah uh jumping a bit but also this this mechanical convinced ease of action and killing in the film by vibes he's kind of like a character on rails and robotic automated functioning where nothing can go wrong and this complete trust in his mission is it's kind of like characters from other horror films where you have well even michael myers who just just walks from point a to point b and he just he just knows he 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 will not basically fail he will just keep going like a like a robot and this is what happens here yeah, it kind of also plays plays with that that vibes as as a godlike figure because yeah. much like God, vibes here is being presented as as all knowing and all seeing to a point where well, this is especially clear in in the locust kill where vibes can have the knowledge of exactly when 
and in what way is his target the nurse he kills is is sleeping like he has to know the exact like picture perfect location just so that you know he knows to drill the hole exactly into the right place what about the humor of these films did it work for you of course it's very british and some of it works and uh, i think most of it either it doesn't work or it's giving me the kind of idea that once again british humor maybe it doesn't just work for me that well um it it did work on occasion yeah yeah. I I I am semi lenient towards British humor. There, there's a lot of British comedy that I really do like, but it, I I also do know British comedy that have left me completely emotionless. Uh, in in Fibes films, not nearly all the jokes land, but. I I would say it, it's kind of a combination. Some of the jokes do work. Some of them did get a chuckle out of me. But more than perhaps the jokes, perhaps it's the, the kind of a whimsical nature of the movies that <laughs> why why I really in, did enjoy them. Some people know that, that it seems to kind of lose credibility when they get to the Egypt location and now Dr. Five suddenly has found some industrial fan for blowing some sand at the desert. Where did he get that fan and where did he get this and that? I I didn't have this kind of a problem with the film, to be no. honest. It's, it's just part of the whimsical nature. Yup. And for example, the industry in, industrial fan that you brought up, that, that is actually a case example, one of the things that, why I did like the second Fives film so much. As a joke, it didn't work for me. I didn't laugh. I I laughed mm. more when he used uh when he used his his robotic band members to masquerade them as some kind of a British army regiment yeah. to to you know lure the one guy. But like as a joke, that scene worked for me better than than the industrial fan thing. But the industrial fan was something so outlandish and well, so stupid to be exactly frank that I I kind of I I just enjoyed the kill, even though absolutely none of it made any goddamn sense in any realm of re- reality. Yeah, this film was a little bit rushed. Uh, surprisingly cheap production in parts. Maybe some of the stock footage. Maybe the way that the film goes to sleep when they arrive to the uh, arrive to Egypt, there's nothing really much to do except to follow this archaeologist and his lady friend uh, just arguing about whether he should tell what they are doing there or not. And then it's about to be sent off, but sticks there until to the very end. And at no point I was really caring about the relationship. Uh, no, the relationship itself doesn't work in fact none of the relationships in in Fibes films work Fibes and Victoria Christ especially in the second one where Fibes refuses to shut the goddamn up about about Victoria Biderbeck <laughs> and his wife doesn't work Fibes and Biderbeck in my opinion didn't work like the the only character relationship that 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 did work 
even though even that wasn't completely logical, was Fibes and Dr. Be- Vesalius in the first film. Mm. It, it, it is the most consistent. Like, like Fibes makes clear that, that he's about revenge. And yeah. revenge-wise, Vesalius and Fibes work. Yeah, it's a, it's a funny thing. I ha- I think I have very similar feelings to yours that, of course, the first film is when you kind of kind of think about the structure. It's it's the better film, but then, uh the the ending is kind of a lackluster in my opinion. That that Fibes just goes back to his beauty sleep, and then in the second one, there's not a hell of a lot to do or to observe or to build on or anything. But it's a more fun film. I think it's a funnier film, also the second one. Yeah, the, the first one. I mean, it comes to the very ending with with Fibes. It, in my opinion, it kind of suffers from the fact that Fibes is so omnipotent, and perhaps that's the reason why well, nobody can actually beat Fibes. So the only way how the film could come to an to an conclusion is that well, Fibes essentially kills himself at the very end, because. Nobody manages to do anything about Fibes in, in the first one. There, there's the whole Scotland Yard investigation where where the investigation manages to to figure out that Fibes did not die in the car accident. And they managed to figure out the reason why Fibes is after after the doctors. But that the cops never managed to so like like save any any of the doctors in any way. They all die except Vesalius, who manages to save his son purely on his own accord. Um, they don't manage to ever find Fibes's location. Fibes actually has to like phone them to let them know where he's hiding, so that the good guys can 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 come to him. So. When Fibes is, when basically Fibes has to tell you, I'm here, come get me, in order for the coppers to actually show up and, and the Vesalius to, to know, well, where, where Fibes is. You kind of paint such of a strong, strong villain that it would then be completely anti, anticlimactic if, if the, the cops would, like, finally during the last three minutes, be able to shoot Fibes, or if they would light the building on fire and Fibes would be caught inside of a, you know, collapsing building or something like that, which is usually the way how these these type of horror films end. Although, interestingly, in both of these films, Dr. Fibes makes a mistake. In the first one, he drops the amulet in the blood-sucking moment to the apartment floor and in the second one he loses the sarcophagus key for a second yeah so he is not almighty i guess he is not almighty but none of these really actually in the end they they don't result in anything yeah. the the losing of the amulet plot wise the only thing that it means is that the, the scotland yard inspectors are able to well, well, they are able to find uh, realize that that it's if the the symbol is is in he is Hebrew, which leads them to the rabbi, who explains them that it's it relates to the ten the, the ten plagues, from which the inspectors finally realize that Fibes is killing according to the plagues, and in the second one, the losing of the key doesn't 
really mean anything else except the fact that Vibes has to really quickly sneak into into the Spiderbacks camp and and kill one dude and just steal the whole goddamn sarcophagus back. Yeah, the the art deco of the film in the sets and the sets in general, I think, are a very major character and part of the film and how they are much better for it than if you would just make the sequel and it would be without the art deco. So those are kind of a really impressive sets and then it kind of sets the, sets the mood and gives uh, more prestige for these films. I did pay attention to these films in the way that these are films that have been made before the internet and the internet porn, like checking out shadow figures of naked ladies and even cardboard ladies. Like, oh, the times before internet porn when one could get excited about these kind of things. Now these uh, kind of obsessions seem even somehow creepier. I, than... I, I, w- I would maintain that that would, w- was lackluster and lame even in times before internet porn. <laughs> Hopefully, like God, God damn, if if anyone anyone of our listeners know that there sometime has been a big market for a shadow figure pornography, <laughs> no, no. please please let us know. PM us on on our Facebook page because that is something so dumb that I I, I refuse to believe it. And if it's proven to be correct, I most definitely want to learn about it and <laughs> per- perhaps lose a piece of my soul with that knowledge. And finally, to twist the dagger in the second film a little bit further, it's a, it's an awfully written film, except for some of the jokes, but but the globe-trotting part, and that way you have kind of more different locations where to wander, and some of the impressive set pieces still, they keep you watching the film. So I'm a little bit split on this film. To me, the biggest problem with the second one is that there really is no motive in in to to Fipes's killings. No, like there there is no running theme with them, or not at at least a running theme that I I could see. Uh, like in in the first film, as already heavily established, Fipes kills according to ten biblical plagues. And you know that that's fine. That's fine. But I did didn't manage to figure out according to what vibes is do, does his killings in in the second one. Like there there is like like he he uses that that scorpion statue trap. That's a pretty cool one. That that's a pretty cool one. But like as a kill, what what does it mean? Yeah. There, there's also the really elaborate sarcophagus. Murder that Fipes does, which also was was really cool to see, and and f- really funny and fun kill. But once again, why, why sarcophagus? Like, what was the running point? That the only kind of explanation, like metaphor wise, that I I could come up with was that it's it's Fipes is kind of killing in accordance to to previous. Previous British expeditions to Egypt, which were like old professor dudes going to Egypt and stealing Egyptian Egypt's national treasures, hmm. breaking in into the sacred pyramids and you know stealing the sarcophaguses and and the mummified bodies, 
stuff that didn't belong to them, but hey, since they were British, they could just go in there and make the claim that this, this is ours now, and shipped it back to Britain. Kind of with that logic, you, you could perhaps see a case where Fives is a quote-unquote avenging spirit of the Egypt, where now that there is a, once again, yet another British expedition to Egypt, Egypt, Fives targets this expedition, and where the previous ones had taken bodies and sarcophaguses out from Egypt, now Fives leaves bodies to Egypt, and more specifically leaves British bodies to Egypt, but it kind of doesn't hold water, because A, Fives himself is, is a Brit in the films, and second one, because, well, Piderbeck's expedition is the only British expedition to Egypt that precisely is not about stealing Egypt's national treasures and shipping them back to Britain. Like, the, the, the world that Piderbeck's expedition breaks into, it's not an Egyptian pyramid or sacred location, it's, it's Fibes' dicks. The sarcophagus that they steal is, it, it does not belong to any Egyptian king or pharaoh, it, it's Fibes's. So it's, it's, it's Brits stealing from other Brits, which once again, I, re, I remake the question, so then why the Scorpius statue? Why the sarcophagus skill? Mm -hmm. Except if the case is not that, because we usually in, in West, we tie things like sarcophagus and, and scorpions. We, we tie them with Egypt, which makes them exotic. So Fibes' whole motif for his, his killings is just that, hey, exotic. And if you would take, dear listeners, this film's plot structure and try to condense it, you could just take the opening monologue of Dr. Fibes and then travel to Egypt by, by the ship and then just go to the, into your chamber and play your little music, music there and then wait for the CCG that the planets are aligned, blah, blah, blah. And then do a bunch of these, my lovely Victoria speeches and, uh, and uh, sail into the eternal, eternal life chamber. And that's the film. But the, the, the thing is that I guess Dr. Fibes has to wait for that Sissiji moment. So in the meanwhile, while he's bored, he's just killing off these people because he has nothing else to do. Mm, kind of, yeah. Kind of, yeah. This, this was also something that, that I took notice upon when, when checking out the films. Fibes' motives for his kills or the reasoning behind behind the murders, it's it's loose at best. Mm. I I ran into when doing the background works. I ran into this repeated argument that that you can you sympathize with Fibes' murders in the first one, since Fibes is lashing out out of out of grief, and Fibes makes the notion that he's avenging the murder of his wife. I never bought his that this would be. Like that, the, the the doctors would have been done doing anything particularly wrong. It's just oh. no, yeah. It's just vibes, you know, interpreting that they weren't doing enough while they probably were. Yeah, vibes just just accuses the doctors and and do does all the killing. Uh, well, because well, god damn it, surgery is never one hundred percent 
100% guaranteed success rate. Yeah. Like, but not not every surgery always works, especially if it's really difficult one, as it apparently was with Fibes's wife. So there really is no murder to avenge. But with that, I I can well at least I can kind of I can't sympathize, but I can at least see the reasoning behind this. Vibes is a man who who has been broken by grief, and now he just lashes out kind of mindlessly. And how hopeless would have this this surgery been, even if you have to avenge like eight or or nine doctors for it, if nobody can do it out of these gentlemen that are probably kind of highly qualified doctors, then I think Dr. Fibes is losing ground here. Yeah, and, and he one of the, the locust victim is nothing but a nurse. Oh, yeah. What? Like a person whose, whose only job was to be there in the operating room and, you know, help the doctors by passing them instruments and stuff like that. Like, yeah. What? <laughs> but, but, that may, but, but the goddamn motive in the second mo- movie makes even less sense. If, yeah. if you can believe it. Uh, essentially, in the second one, Fibes is killing... The, the whole motive for Fibes to, to rise again is that there, there's a legend about magical waters in buried, you know, somewhere beneath the ground of Egypt. Mm. And uh, uh, the first killings happen because Fibes has had, had this in his possession. This ancient papyrus that showcases somehow the location where, where the rivers are are found. And, well, Piderbeck has bought the papyrus to himself after, you know, they, what happened at the, at the first film. So, Fibes kills the, his first victim to, to steal the papyrus back. Okay, Piderbeck has already deciphered the papyrus and kind of knows at least vaguely where to go with his expedition. So both Fibes and Piderbeck head to Egypt. And then in Egypt, uh, Piderbeck's crew, well, they, they steal the sarcophagus with, with Fibes' wife in it. So now Fibes kills, like, what, two people mm. because of it? <laughs> well, no, one people. The first one, the scorpion statue trap, happens even before before the sarcophagus is being stolen. So that, that kill just happens just because. And then there is the third kill, which is the fake British military regiment decoy kill, which Fibes orchestrates just so that he can steal Piderbeck's wife to, to put her as a trophy into yet another trap. And... Yeah. Yeah. Like, the whole situation... Would have, would have been easily solved if Vibes wouldn't be such a selfish asshole. <laughs> like, why, why can't Vibes just let Piderbeck have some of the goddamn water? The film's, film makes the, the notion that it's, it's a river of life or, or the waters of life flow in the river or something like that. And rivers, rivers are researching supply of water. That, that's the whole idea of a, of a river. More water comes into rivers. That's how, that's, that's how you get a river. It's, it's not a goddamn puddle of, of water. Something that you could drain in five sips. So why on earth can't Fibes just make a deal with Piderbeck if, if there is kind of like an endless supply of, of water, of life? Just, just, just 
say to the man that, sure, Spider-Pack, you know, come with me, take, take your wife with me. That the first gulp of, of water, eternal life, water of life goes to my wife, your wife gets the second, I get the third, and you get the fourth. And we can, we can all, all share the river of life. But, but no, with Fibes, it, it has to be all for himself. Because like, uh, Biderbeck is the guy who, who stole the papyrus. Well, he didn't even steal it. He bought it. Well, I guess he bought it, yeah. But from Fibes' perspective, again. Well, uh, for, from <laughs> Fibes' perspective, yeah, yeah. That's a very... Perhaps, but, but still, mm. still, you, you kill like five people because you just can't compromise on a goddamn river of all damn things. I, I would have understood this more if it would have been like a soda bottle of life. Like <laughs> something where there is a limited quantity of the thing you want. But it's a goddamn river. And I'm like, <laughs> why vibes? Why? Why all this mayhem? Yeah, it's a bit frustrating to to not see where Dr. Fibes goes. It's not necessary, but always from the very first time I saw the film, I was kind of wishing that you could see more of what we've been waiting for. And I'm not sure what happens in the end. Is Spiderbeck now in some kind of a lethal water that will actually make you die or get old in a matter of seconds? Or is just the film showing you that, well, you get in, didn't get to drink the nectar of of eternal life, so this is kind of the representation of what happened to his body during the next following years, as as human body does. I I kind of took it that it was something more more like that. Yeah. That film makes the makes the notion how Spiderbeck is is out of time since he has had this this some kind of a life longing elixir. Where he got it, and why can't he have more? Who, who knows? But but he has had a supply of that, and that's what he has been using for a couple of centuries now. And he is on his very last bottle, on, on his very last drops, even. And as as by vibes floats with his with his wife and leaves Spiderbeck behind, I. I guess the film film is saying that that was the moment when Spiderbeck finally ran out of time, and now he's age aging super fast to make up the the time that he has, like make up all the all the aging that he has previously once been able to avoid through his magical elixir. It's kind of like the the whole goblet thing in in the Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Like where where the one dude at the very end ages like rapidly because yeah. he he drank from the wrong cup. Kind of similar type of type of situation, but happens because because Spiderbeck no longer has any drops left of his elixir. Well, there is no way to save face for Doctor Fibes. He could have used some Korean. <laughs> He could have used some <laughs> Korean ten-step skin routine, but uh, I think that <laughs> would have not been very useful. So I can see where he's coming from. At least he will live forever. Yeah, I don't know if that's a good thing for Victoria, though. Like I, I know that the marketing line in in the in the first line of of, of posters for the first film was that love is to never have to say you are ugly. Yep. But. 
but still. Still. still like, like, like Vibes is using a rubber mask. It, it's either going to deteriorate at some point or it's going to fall off and Victoria is going to see, see the horrible face of, of disfigured Vibes. Mm-hmm. Perhaps she kills herself at that moment. Yeah, interesting little tidbits about the third Fibes film, which never happened. Uh, AIP was looking for scripts for the third film, but uh, they never find a suitable one. There were some proposed titles for this. Fibes Resurrectures, uh, The Bride of Dr. Fibes, and The Seven Fates of Dr. Fibes. And one of these ideas that what that was worked on was that Victoria would have been successfully resurrected in the third but that she would have been perhaps even more insane murderous maniac than her husband. And I don't know, there could be some relationship problems for sure, spending an eternity together. But there are these sequels in a novel form, as we were discussing. The first two have been made into novel form and from none other than the original character creator, William Goldstein. He wrote the books regarding the first films and also the novels uh, Dr. Vibes in the beginning and Dr. Vibes Full Navia's Secret. And there's been some other adaptations of sorts, but I think these are the key books. Yeah, I can't really say anything about them. I do know they exist, but uh, in preparation for, for today's episode, I didn't even make an attempt to, to look them up or ha- even go through any kind of a plot summary about what happens in the in, in those. Yeah, because unlike Dr. Fives, we don't have a time of eternity to go through this. But would you like to see a third Fives film, Henrik, at this point? Uh, kind of yeah and kind of no. Because you know that it will probably not be the same anymore. It... As as already Dr. Fibes Rises Again showcases us, it's really hard to to pick up from where the previous Dr. Fibes film ends. And I I coming from that, it always fills my heart with dread when I know that that somewhere a Hollywood production house or yeah. or even pre- British production house is trying to attempt to continue from some, somewhere that ended up in a way that it's really hard to continue. Like, Dr. Fives Rise again barely makes it, and it mostly makes it because it realizes that it has to play play the whole resurrection thing for laughs and not spend too much time, like barely, not even five minutes, Thinking the resurrection through. Just get it over with quickly and do it for laughs. And you just made it with that one. Yeah. And I really don't know if, if... Like, if they would make it work, I would be really happy to see a third Fives film. I do think that there's there's a plenty of enjoyment to be still to be found from Fives. And especially all the elaborate killings. But... There's always a risk, there's always a risk that they, they just fucked it up because the starting point for your race is such of a difficult... To, like, the first step is so difficult to take. Yeah, if they ever make the third one, I suppose it's going to be just a reimagination of the original storyline. Most likely. Or the storyline of the two, two, two films, which probably wouldn't work. You just would maybe want to do the original storyline and then uh, 
kind of put some more umph into the ending. Uh, the most likely scenario would be that it would be a remake once again, because that's mm. exactly what what movie production houses lo- love to do whenever they are fresh out of ideas, and even if they are not. Like it's the cheapest road, uh, cheapest and easiest road to take in any given given situation. Just do a remake. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense for me to continue the exact same storyline that ended in '72 with the film that is made in 2025 or something. I, I I don't know if there would be a third Pipes film. I would prefer it to actually follow from oh. from Rises again. Yeah, and that's that's exactly why uh, why I feel that it's such a difficult task that I I kind of hope that there never will be a third Pipes film. Yeah. I, I would want one, but the odds of them fucking up are so great here that I I just I, I kinda don't have the courage to take that gamble. Similar sentiments from here. This is carried a lot on Vincent Price's shoulders, especially the second part where my special mention for an actor goes of course to Vincent Price for his enthusiasm for the role that he carries these films forward with his flamboyant act and all the twisting faces and the theatrical line deliveries successfully too. What about for you? I go with Vincent Price also, precisely for for the same reasons that the second best one, in my opinion, would go to Joseph Cotton, who plays Dr. Vesalius in, in the first one. Mm. Him and Price, I I do feel that are the are, are the strongest like performances in in the Fibes films. As much as much as I also did love Robert Quarry as Doctor Piderbeck, but you know, in in my opinion, Cotton and Price are the ones who really do it out on screen, as they also did, you know, behind the screen because Cotton, especially at first, was. Kind of really not taking to Price, who he felt got off too easily because Price didn't have to remember his or know his lines <laughs> when they were shooting, as all his dialogue was inserted in in post. Mm. Of course, this didn't mean that Price didn't know his lines. Price was known for the fact that he had a remarkable capability to memorize things which mm-hmm. helped him a lot as an actor, as he could just, you know, remember everybody's lines simply, you know, from reading the script through just a couple of times. Yeah, that is a masterful ability. You have to be, I think, very visual in your mind that you're able to connect the dots so well. Or it's once again some kind of a weird, you know, genetical thing that just ha- mm. happens on hand full of people and Vincent Price just happened to land on the lucky die. That helps. What resonated with me the most in the film series, or these two films overall, I think, just Dr. Fives. Dr. Fives is a very creative character still, and it would be fun to see more what could be done with it. To me, it's kind of more of, of of the spirit of these movies. They are very loose, kind of kind of air. Well, I, I don't know, airy, mm. perhaps airheaded, in 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 the way how they work. There's there's a 
certain amount of of just style purely for for the for the fun of having style like for example the organs that that dr fives plays which which, which is a combination of of goddamn red plastic discs that do absolutely nothing except to look cool and most of Fives' killings in reality are, are done in a way that just just looks cool. They are extremely impractical to pull off. And they they rely on circumstances playing like 100% on Fives' hand and yeah. all the characters completely being co- like like absolutely unaware about the things that just happen around them or just the room next to them but all of this they kind of fuels into this this kind of a childish childish approach of of simply you know having fun and to me that's mo- what vibes films most are they are fun that it is and but in a one adjective how would i describe these films uh, this may sound rough when I think about everything that we have been discussing today, they are fun, but what I wrote here is unpolished, because as you maybe said, that it, it, they are airy, they are kind of full of air, it's it's not completely tight and uh, foolproof, but there's so much to like there that still I enjoy these films. Yeah, that that's kind of the thing with, with Fibes. Fibes uh, is our movies, that you shouldn't think too much. Like we are doing a disservice here by covering them in the podcast because the the flick lab is something that requires that you you look mm. something very closely and you think it at least try to think it very clearly. And vibes is something that you most definitely shouldn't think. You should should just you know turn your brain off and just watch them <laughs> because. By God, if if you apply any level of of reason and logic to to the Fibes movies, they they immediately start to fall. Like, like pieces start to fall immediately. What was your adjective? To me, it's 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 still just you know boring and plain fun. Hmm. Would you consider to watch this ever again? Uh... Actually, most likely, yeah. Um, I I was even though I did know coming to the watching these films, I did know that they they are being held to a cult film status. But cult films can be kind of hit and miss mm. experiences. A lot of them are misses. But I I was kind of surprised exactly how much fun I still ended up having <laughs> with with Doctor Vibes, even though I did get kind of an on a rocky start with the movies because it mm. did take me a time to realize exactly how little of of thinking I was supposed to do with something that still is a cult film. But once once I kind of kind of, once the films kind of clicked with me, I. I really did enjoy them, and I can see that I I will revisit them, perhaps even even quite soon. I had this kind of feeling when starting the first Doctor Fibes. Now that, oh boy, what is Henrik gonna think of me and these these choices? Is this gonna be again one of those films that I really liked when I was a kid, and now I don't see what the hell that was all about? 
but as it started to get rolling a bit, uh, yeah, those things that are there to be liked, they they just about save it. Would I watch this ever again? Yeah, sure, sure. Not immediately. Someday, why not? You know, honey, wanna watch some Doctor Vibes? Okay. Yeah, these these are kind of nice, like lazy lazy Sunday afternoon or lazy Sunday evening. Grab a bag of popcorn and, and get on the sofa and, and just watch Dr. Vibes because nothing is on, on telly. And I'm kind of curious to hear what other people uh, in my company would say about this film, what they feel about it, whether they find it more funny than I did or what else kind of resonates with them. Do I think the films have any staying power legacy? Obviously, they have a cult status, so not more much to say about that. Yeah, you you summarized it actually perfectly. They are cult films, and they are cult films for a good reason. There you go. Henrik, oh boy, would you recommend the Dr. Fibes films? Surprisingly lot, yes. Once again, like once again, Fibes is not perhaps the most typical the flick lab material, or, or it, the, the type of film that that usually earns a recommendation here. We we have tried these these kind of knowingly stupid horror and other genre films in in the flick lab previously. Like for example, in Zombie Strippers, which ended up in the in, in the drunken battle between the two of us. I don't want to remember that. So it's way better that you made it out to be a cruel bastard. So in in that regard, experiences like fights, they are always there's always a camp, but there's always a risk that the person you show it doesn't really get it. But I do think that when it comes to these type of films. Films that that wants to be loose. Vibes is actually one of the better examples, and it succeeds in what it sets out to be way better than than most. A good example is that we both kind of agree upon the films. We agree on the the, the same kind of problems that the movies have. And we we did not end up fighting fighting each other like we did on the, the on the zombie strippers episode. So on on that regard, yes, I recommend the checking out Doctor Fives movies. And I do think that these are much safer bet than than for example zombie uh, zombie strippers was. Oh yeah, no doubt about that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I do, but you just had a had a problem because you were sitting in a strip club. I had an alcohol problem, <laughs> <laughs> and I started to sexually harass Henrik almost. <laughs> I never again. We, 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 we can say that we both experienced movie magic on on that recording session. <laughs> studio magic for sure. It's a studio magic. I think the the first one is important to see, and I I kind of realize how much it has influenced the, the following films like The Exorcist three perhaps and and the Saw films or what have you serial serial killer movies 
who have some elaborate kill scenes. When it comes to the second part, yeah, as stated, hundred times, it doesn't exactly succeed technically, but it is relative amount of fun. But still, that fun is kind of there. Well, it's kind of the second one is dancing so much on the line that I think it doesn't really stay on balance, and the and and the guy walking on the line falls off. So. Um, but if you enjoyed the first one, I believe you will have fun with the second one, so go ahead. But if these kind of things are not really your thing, I would say that still watch the first one for educational reasons and for some fun reasons and know what the hell this is all about. And then maybe skip the second one. Yeah, but uh, generally speaking, recommendation for the first one. And I do like things in the second one, but not quite enough for a recommendation uh, yeah i i feel that the first one is mandatory viewing if you are planning to check out check out dr five's movies it uh, kind of eases you into the whole experience and i i my recommendation is that you most definitely you start with the first movie if if dr five's rises again would be your first experience with these films uh, perhaps two of a rocky start. It might even ruin the first one for you. Yeah, there is so, no character. Um, they don't intro the character in any way. It's just, everything has been already tackled in the first one, and it's building on that first one. Yeah. So, if you are going to to check this out, you haven't seen this before. Most definitely, watch them in in the, in the right order. Yeah. You really know. You are watching Dr. Fives films, Henrik. When? When a whole bunch of locusts trap you into a, into a, some kind of weird sarcophage thing that's closing around you while a weirdly placed industrial fan is blowing air right, ne- right next to your ear and none of it makes any goddamn sense. <laughs> Still having fun. You really know you're watching Dr. Fibes films when you give a helping hand to an Art Deco-obsessed zombie vampire and you're rewarded for it with an acid shower. <laughs> I don't know, man. Watching this film, I'm feeling confident that we should have favorite quote back here on this podcast. Any favorite quotes? Actually, no. Uh... <sighs> I have to confess that ever since we dropped that from the quickies list, I kinda just stopped paying that much attention to the movies because trying to pick up and find your favorite quote in any given film in the past was just hell of a lot of work. Can we have it back? Please, 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 please. <laughs> I, I say absolutely nothing on that matter. <clears throat> Silent content. I like this one. So I came down to find some aspirins. The door was open a bit, and as I looked through, there he was. And then I rang for you lot. And that's all? Well, that's enough for one night. Or Fibes quotes, My love, sweet queen and noble wife. <laughs> oh, God, no. <laughs> <laughs> Stop the sound immediately. <laughs> I, I'm not listening to the, all the sweet Victoria monologues again. But this is the best one, the, the, the most famous one. I think this was borrowed from somewhere, but I'm not sh- so sure. 
I think there are some lines that have been borrowed from somewhere. Anyway. Well, there's a lot that has been borrowed elsewhere, also in Doctor Vibes, since we made 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 the whole you know movies that that rip off or mentioned the argument <laughs> about ripping off previously in the podcast. It's something to good to remember. Doctor Vibes also borrows influences heavily, extremely heavily from films that have come before Doctor Vibes. Mm. So it's not really a, a you know blameless victim of anything. Anyway, I alone remain to bring delivery of your pain, severed, my darling, too quickly from this life of fires drawn and of memories met. I shall hold our two hearts again in single time. Okay. <laughs> I do enjoy these quotes too much. You, you can have your own, very own, separate podcast, which is film <laughs> quotes. Oh, boy. Well, here we have been, once again, to dissect some quality films, Henrik. What is our next victims? I don't know, but victims sounds right about right. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Would it be Steven Seagal's time to show up in this podcast? Because I mandate so. Is is there is there enough space when on, on this podcast and our hard drives for Steven Seagal? Oh yeah. <laughs> well, at least the duration of six movies. First, we would go through Above the Law, his first hit film. Yeah, you. <laughs> yeah, you. You. You have to cover that if you if you are talking about Steven Seagal. Oh yes, sir. And then, then Under Siege, which had that sequel film as well, and the first one is considered one of the better Seagull films, if not even his best. Followed by Fire Down Below, this toxic waste story about environmentalism, which is really important for Steven Seagal, and On Deadly Ground, the film that he himself directed and attack force a complete dumpster fire <laughs> and then beyond the law his latest film to see what he's been up to lately outside of goddamn crispy creams <laughs> <laughs> i think that's a fair list to see all the different nuances and colors of the rainbow thank you for joining us see you in a fortnight Oh, leave it then. There is no way to save face for Dr. Fibes. <laughs> se on se, mitä Fibes menee ja pöllii takaisin silloin siinä, no, siinä, siinä teollisuustuuletin hommelissa. Previous British Expeditions to England. Äh, teollisuustuuletin hommelissa. Soda bottle of life. Teollisuustuuletin hommelissa. Uh, that didn't entirely work. Let's start again. Teollisuustuuletin hommelissa. A lot of solo alan Teollisuustuuletin hommelissa. My love, sweet queen and noble wife. <laughs> oh God, no! Teollisuustuuletin hommelissa. Fives and Biderbeck, in my opinion, didn't work. Teollisuustuuletin hommelissa. That that did work.
Teollisuustuuleri hommelissa. Vesalius and Vibes work. Teollisuustuuleri hommelissa. I kinda, I, I just enjoyed the kill. Teollisuustuuleri hommelissa. Even though teollisuustuuleri hommelissa. Absolutely none of it made any goddamn sense in any realm of reality. Siinä siinä teollisuustuuleri hommelissa. Mm-hmm. Hello, cool. Oh, no, 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 no